You're listening to the Pursuing Alpha podcast, hosted by Charles Brandon Snyder. Charles Brandon Snyder offers securities through LPL Financial, member FINRA and SIPC. Pursuing Alpha is a separate entity from LPL Financial. Pursuing Alpha and the logo are registered trademarks. The opinions voiced in this podcast are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a decision. Any guests and their companies are not affiliated with or endorsed by LPL Financial, Alpha Capital Strategies, Alpha Capital, or the Pursuing Alpha Podcast. Dude, John Michael, man. I'm so excited to have you I here. know. It's been a while getting this thing up and going. We've talked about this all the time. I know. It's been a year and a half in the making. Cheers, bro. It's good to have you here. And and uh, so before we kick off, just tell everybody what you do and who you are. So uh, John Michael Garrett, nobody calls me by John Michael. It's either JM or JMG usually. I still call you John Michael. A lot of people don't. Really? Really. After all these years, I yeah. st- I'm the only one that does that? Yeah. Oh, that's uh, JM, I so. guess. Uh, I do oil and gas. Okay. Yeah. So that means a lot of things to a lot of different people. Yeah. So. I, you, you were a child model? Like when? So my mom decided to send my picture into Kim Dawson Agency in Dallas when I was, I think, three. Really? Yeah. They called her the next day, and I started working. I did uh, McDonald's. I did American Airlines, Walmart, Rimco. Um. Actually, Where did, did you live when you were doing this? Did uh, you? We were in Granbury. Okay, so you were close to Dallas. So we had to go to Dallas every time we did something. Okay. And so I actually did a – it was for a hospital up north. And I did it when I was like six. I Do you still remember all this? That's like some of the first things I remember because I got my own uh, RV. Really? And they like filled it with toys. Actually, I actually got paid on that for the until I was 16. That's crazy. You got royalties on that until you were 16. Yes. Oh, yeah. It was awesome. Like, I did Neiman Marcus, like, all sorts of print. JCPenney. Uh, you name it. I don't, So, apparently, I don't, I don't know if my mom is full of shit or what, but she's said that. Uh, her, so, her one of her cousins was a director in California at the time. And there's a... They were going to have a child in the Tom Cruise movie, is it The Fern? The Firm, the f- Yeah, The Firm? Yeah, The Firm. Like the movie with Tom Cruise in right, it? Right. Where, where he was. The movie with Tom Cruise. Yeah, that's it, that's it, right? And apparently he was going to get me in. I was in already, but my mom didn't want to take me out there. No kidding. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then uh, my modeling career ended when my teeth falling started falling out. Because they wanted me to get fakes. Really? My mom said no. And then I got into baseball, and I had bruises all over me. and everything. That was the end of it. That was it. Done. So tell me what you do today. Today, I am an oil and gas. Everybody considers it a landman. Okay. So What's that mean? Uh, we I do pretty much everything before drilling of any oil and gas well. So what's before drilling? We uh, do title. We figure out who owns the land. We lease them. Uh, we cure any title defects before drilling happens, and then we cure any title defects um, after drilling happens to make sure that everybody's getting paid. So you're going back almost like an attorney and doing every single piece of research that there is to make sure that the owner of 
the only gas minerals surface working interest and all that stuff is actually being documented so everybody gets allocated to the right correct so that's 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 one thing as a being a prudent operator when the operators do it they make you have to make sure that you're paying everybody correctly right i'm sure there was a million lawsuits back in the days if that didn't happen right well no because nobody knew exactly what they owned really so if you weren't if i i got a wicked story like there there's a guy that's i've worked with for a couple of years now and his family were one of the first black Americans that owned land in Louisiana and Texas. Mm-hmm. And they, he went back and sued all the oil and gas companies for not paying his family the royalties because he was African-American. He should have. Yeah. And he's extremely well off now. And he's never touched the money. And then he created two other businesses, a restaurant with him and his wife. And, and then he has this other company and he's made stupid amount of money the guy's just really gifted on making money right and but it's really neat to hear that they he's done all that so i i could see how being able to go back and research every single aspect of the oil and gas industry is extremely important yes now going back into where's the biggest oil and gas right now in texas it's midland right well what are you talking about biggest oil and gas well i'm just talking about the industry itself actually fort worth is booming fort worth is the new like Oil and gas mecca. Really? I wouldn't have thought that. I, would, I mean, I'm, I have a lot of clients in Midland. We've done a lot of stuff Everybody, in Midland. Everybody's moved to Fort Worth. Really? Everybody, well, I mean, Midland is Midland's tough. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's tough. We'll call it that. Yeah, it, it, it's tough. Not a place I want to live. No, it's not. So I could see why everybody wanted to go to Fort Worth. Right. Fort Worth is amazing. Um, but, I, I mean, Fort Worth is really where oil and gas started in Texas. Like it's it's where all the oil and gas has been for hundred years, fifty years. No, not at all. Really? That's how East I always Texas. East Texas. But th- then, how did all the oil companies end up in Midland? Uh, Permian. Yeah. So I mean, there there was basis on the Permian. That's really where the oil and gas industry yeah, yeah kicked off and became. But everything really started in East Texas. And it, where where what part of East Texas? Okay. Um. Where was you're gonna have to look that one up. Yeah, I mean, like it's. Yeah, it's it's. Because I know there was a lot of oil and gas up under DFW and Love Field that they. So that's still, all gas. That's all gas up under there. So there's so, the Barnett, is DFW. So you pretty much have like so DFW Airport. Yeah, that was the big deal. Is there's like a lot of oil and gas under the airport. Just gas. Just gas. You have gas that goes pretty much west of there. North, when you get up to like Gainesville, Denton. That area, there's a lot of old oil wells. Oh wow! Because because my my grandparents used to own an oil company. I didn't know that. Yeah, they were so they were operators. Um, there's a lot of crazy stories with that, but uh, Couch Oil, and so they they still own a lot of overrides and all that. Because hmm. they got rid of all their working interests. Because uh, grandmother's brother just wasted money and went bankrupt. And That's always a story when it comes to only gas. Oh, that, that one's, that one, there's, there's all sorts of stuff that's involved in that gel and you know, never know what. So Harrison's found something. Right. Yeah. So to answer that question where the Texas oil boom began, middle top. I was actually the uh, first Texas oil boom arrived in June of 1894 when the Corsicana oil field was discovered. Where's and then the next one, Corsicana, I don't know where Corsicana is. No. Are you from Texas? Yeah, no kidding, right? Let's Help me out here. 
Ryan, pull up a map. Oh my gosh. But no, and then uh, the other one. Just give me a reference. Uh, Spindle, Nacad- Spindle Top's the big, the big one. Yeah, Nacogdoches was yeah, in Nacad- 1941. Nacadoches. So yeah, that was that was like back in the very beginning. Yeah, gotcha. but yeah, that's when re- everything really just like kicked off. And yeah, then we got to pull up the map for uh, yeah, but a all the old companies lesson. today. Have you ever been to SFA? Stephen F. Austin. Yeah. Yeah. University. Yeah. A snack. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's all you had to say. Give me a reference point here. Right? Oh, not Nagadocious, Corsicana, sorry. Oh, okay, so just south of Dallas. Yeah. Oh, I thought, see, I was coming out of Dallas. See, there's Granbury. That's a good old hometown. So if, if you go, go back west of that Corsicana, because this is, I think this is going to be really interesting. Is like I think that's on the same horizontal line as to where Midlands act. To Midlands act that has nothing to do with it. I know it, it doesn't, doesn't but it's just kind of a on. weird coincidence. Because you know where the ship. So, all right. Yeah, <laughs> I was right. That might just be a coincidence. No, that's just a coincidence because all the shelves in Texas do this. Yeah, I've seen I've seen the map right. So they 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 go from northeast, northeast south. West, nor- northwest, northwest southeast. southeast. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've seen that. So there's Midland, Texas. And, and this is why I think it's so interesting because, I mean, I've been doing this for like 12 years. We're in West Texas. You're 100 miles away from Midland, Texas, which is like the epicenter of oil and gas. It's like every morning on CNBC, that's all they say is, you know, the Permian, right? You'll hear them say that. Or they'll even every now and then say Houston or Midland. But it's really we're in the mecca of where the oil and gas industry is currently right now in the largest reserves all around us in the United States, at least. Yes, and- I mean, Lubbock is a dead zone. Like we, unfortunately, yes. Like right south of here, Lynn and Northern Dawson County, they call it the graveyard. Oh, because really? Because so many that. dry holes are out there. That's crazy. And it's just a wildcatters area, and you can drill one place, go two hundred feet in one direction, and you'll hit nothing. Really? So it's a very, it's a very difficult area. So what go. makes it do that? Is it just the the? the it's just the pockets. So really? the majority of that is St. Andrews. And what do you mean by St. Andrews? The formation. Okay. Um, St. Andrews is very spotty in those locations. And how deep is St. Andrews then? Uh, it just depends on where you're at because of the cap rock. I mean, it could be a certain depth so we, in New Mexico. It could be a certain depth down in Reeves County. It could be, it's, it just depends. So when you say formation, like I want to get as basic as we can. So you're, you're saying different depths have different formations and each one of those depths have a different name. Yes. Okay. So, there, so every uh, formation could be a hundred feet only. That's really? it. That's crazy. So they all range. They're all different. And so some of that gets real narrow and some of it gets real thick. And, mm-hmm. and, it, and it just kind of goes how the geographical earth is actually layered. And that's why most companies decided to start doing horizontals. So they could. All right. So now you got to explain well, what a horizontal. A horizontal well, instead of just drilling a vertical well straight down into one pocket, you can drill into several pockets at once. So you're actually taking the well, drilling down, and then it's curving. Curving. And then it's going laterally how far? Um, they started out um, half mile, but now they're doing like two-mile laterals. That's crazy. So, two, two mile long. Technology isn't – I mean, every five years, there's just – it's amazing what they've Crazy innovation. Yes. All right. So we got to break all this down because we, we 
dived so deep into this mm-hmm. so quick, so I'm excited about this. So I want to get as basic as we can so we get all common ground, and we'll, we'll kind of well, go Because everybody always asks, what do you do? And I'm like, uh. It's, like, impossible to explain. I'll give you the short version. Yeah, right? It's 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 nuts. So – how I always look at it, like there's three different ways, right? So I look at you can – it's either surface and it's everything that's on the surface, right? Yes. I look at it as then you got the minerals themselves. So who owns everything up under the surface? Mm-hmm. And then you have the third one, which is the actual working interest or operations. So that is a – so when a company comes in to drill, they lease your minerals – so they don't own the rights to them. So, so, no. so first the surface is they come in and they negotiate to go on your land. They're leasing it to use. They're leasing it to drill. Okay. Because if they didn't lease it and you drilled it, you'd be responsible for all the costs of the drilling. Correct. And any continuing production after that. Right. So what they do is they lease it. They turn around and give you a percentage as a royalty back to you. So – if you had 100%, a typical landowner that owns minerals on his land would get a percent of whatever's drilled on that land. So pretty much the going rate right now is 25%. Lease okay. Bonus, or, elite, or royalty. Royalty on it. And so, so say that they owned 100, they would receive 25% of all production. Okay. And that's, that's in return for them not having to pay for anything to drill. So – and this is where I think a lot of people, when I have these conversations about minerals, and here in West Texas, this is going to be very, very simplistic because everybody knows it, right? But everybody well, thinks they know. Everybody thinks they know because I mean, I get confused sometimes because you're you're looking at what what's a net royalty acre, to net mineral acre, and then it gets, you know, y'all have your own language. Like I always think I have financial language, so financialese, lawyers have legalese, doctors have doctorese, kind of, and and y'all have your own language that is like. I get confused on and on what makes up a royalty acre, what makes up a net mineral acre and and how all that does. But what the simple fact is, is like people going all the way back to the 1800s, everybody had mineral rights. Yes. On everything. Right. So it just depends on what state you're in. Really? I didn't know that. I thought that was across the board. No. So state of Texas, most of it is all fee. Majority of it. A lot of it's owned by the Longhorns. University yeah, we got to talk about that. Uh, hold on, hold on. I want to dive in that before we even go going. I don't even know if I want to get into that. That that's that's you know because we are in Texas Tech country here, right? So right. Th- that's one thing. But I think this is the most absurd thing that I've ever heard is that the University of Texas and the state of Texas going way back like a hundred years, like is the only official university to be able to get all of, I forgot what that grant's called, or it's not a grant. It's, it's a, the, is it the, help me out of here. I, Ron, can you look this up? Is this pup fund? Yeah. It's, it's like the pup fund or something like that, where they get every single thing. And it's actually inside of the state of Texas. Like said, the university of Texas gets all of the stuff from the tech, uh, from the state and nobody else, no other university gets it. So it's all university lands. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. And that's one of the things that made UT as big. I think that's expanded out <laughs> and wasn't it to A&M now gets a portion of it. But the only one that doesn't get it, from what my understanding, is Texas Tech. Well, I think it's only UT and A&M that get it. All the other schools don't. All the other state schools don't? No. That's crazy. So it's only it's only between them and University of Texas is 
the main owner of of it all. So like, you go s- South Texas, like around Ozona, those areas, it is like university lands everywhere. So it, it's pre- you have to negotiate with the University of Texas. Yes, but you don't really have to negotiate with them. They've got people that do it all. Oh, of course, but it's still coming to them, right? So, yes, we. That it's something that needs to change for sure. I just think it's. I don't know. I, if you're a state-funded school, I think it should be proportional to whatever your population of your school is. Right. Uh, something something equal across the board, but it's been grandfathered into Texas for so long, it's crazy. So you have you have university lands, and then you have when the state patented lands to these owners, they reserved minerals or a royalty interest out of it, so that they get a cut from any production also. Um, then then you have straight fee, which is somebody gets somebody has patented land, surface and minerals, all depths. And that's when it starts out as one. It's one of one at that point. So that's that's your that's the different ones in Texas. New Mexico, you have the majority of it is minerals are all owned by the U.S. government, the BLM. Yeah, that, and then, that, isn't that what Biden actually halted? Yeah. So what? So what the big operators did before Biden got into office was. They permitted as many locations as they possibly could because the majority of those permits all last for 10 years. So once you permit it, you have 10 years to drill it. And so they permitted as many locations as they possibly can, but they're not going to drill them all. Right. But just to have the options. And So once they were permitted, you could drill in the future because they're already permitted. Mm-hmm. I got gotcha. you. So then, so you have, st- and then state owns a lot of minerals out there too. So when they, most of the New Mexico patents were from the early 1900s. Texas goes back 1800s, way back. I mean, it just depends on East Texas is very early. West Texas is uh, 1870 is probably about as far as it goes back. And then um, what they did, so the state pretty much owns, mm, it just depends on which location you're at. Like Eddie and Lee County, majority of it is all BLM or state. Really? But the services, it just depends on where you're at. Surface is owned by somebody else. Well, isn't that kind of across the board? Whoever owns the land owns the surface. Isn't that pretty uniform? No, because no. uh, a lot of the patents from the uh, U.S. government, they reserved all the minerals when they patented the surface to somebody else, to individuals. Hmm. So you could be a landowner and not even own the surface, and then whoever owns the surface controls it even though you control the land. Surface doesn't con- Surface owner doesn't control anything. That's crazy. So surface owner controls nothing under the ground. Well, I was just talking about surface. So explain what a surface owner is. The so surface owner only owns the dirt on top. Right. That's what I was talking rights. about. And the water rights. So everybody, everything that you, so you can't it, come on their property. Texas, New Mexico's water rights are very different. Oh yeah. I know that New Mexico's water rights are. We won't get into that. Yeah. That's crazy. But um, yeah, surface, you own the surface and your water rights in Texas. And that's it. That's it. And so you have to, or an oil company, even though you don't own the minerals, the oil companies will come to you and say, hey, I need to get across your land to put a well in. So what they do is they they nicely do it. So they don't actually have to get permission from the service owner. Cut on the AC for me, dude. 
you're kill. It's killing me here. Sorry. <laughs> you start drinking this whiskey. We're drinking the, the whiskey. And it's it's really nice, but it's starting to catch up to me quick. And it's like 140 in here. It's uh, it's pretty warm. Yeah, the lats really get you going. But all right, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. So all right, where are we at? So, all right, so on in laws in Texas, you don't have to have the service owner's permission to drill. But you do have to have you, their permission if, to cross their land, right? If you have the rights to drill from the mineral owners, yeah, you can. But as a prudent operator, you're you want to get a surface use agreement from the surface owner, and that way that you can you pay them for road access, you pay them for pad sites, uh, easements, right of ways, pipelines. You do it that way. That's okay. what most. That's the majority. Like you rarely have a surface owner that says no. I have not come into contact with any yet. Really? So, because you give them a, a hefty little payment, and th- yeah, they'll let you do it. So. Sure. So, that surface, and the minerals, or everybody owns minerals, and then whatever. So, you own minerals forever, right? Whoever owns the minerals, they have rights. It's like real estate to a certain point, right? Mm-hmm. They ha- they own the rights to that minerals. You own the rights to the surface is pretty much everything that's on the surface. So like a farmer, he owns the surface rights. When he buys, somebody goes and buys raw land, you own the surface rights. Right. Okay. So that's where I was trying to get to. So you got the surface owner, which is anybody that just goes and buys land, you own those rights to the surface. Yes. And then somebody completely separate can own the rights to the minerals up under it. And then you got the third component, which is somebody's got to go drill it. And right. that, that's the third one. And you can participate from a financial s- standpoint in all three, right? You can right. buy the land and do something to the land to generate revenue, right? You can own minerals and generate min- revenue by partnering with the oil company to allow you to pull mineral uh, oil or gas out of the land, right? Right. All right. So your job is to go in there and research all of that. You have to figure out who owns everything below the surface. And that seems like it's a, such a simple thing. Oh, it is not. So, so how would you go about trying to figure out who owns what on a uh, daily basis? Like, like, what do you do? You get up and you go do what? Well, it depends on the project because if you kind of – it's say that you're purchasing minerals from somebody, a company. They're like, hey, we've got these minerals that we're, we're trying to sell. We'll run it backwards, and we'll run it back to see where it came from. So you run what backwards? The ownership. The ownership. Okay. It, usually, if we are starting a new tract on leasing, we'll we'll start from the very beginning, from when the state still owned it, to present day. So we'll, it it just depends on what what you're. So doing. you're having to track every single piece of that ownership in that space. Yes. For a hundred plus years. Yes. So uh, a lot of these areas. Before they started drilling a lot, um, especially like Dawson County, they never worried about the minerals. So people that reserved them back in the 40s have died off and there's nothing filed. So we have to track down airship where you have to you have to go three or four generations back to figure out where it goes. And we're pretty much uh, genealogists too. So that's crazy. So you got to find and look up and figure out and call everybody to figure out who's the grandson, the great grandson of, of this old lady that owns mm-hmm. probates, affidavit airships. We have to do everything to clear up the title so that it flows correctly, legally flows correctly. 
So it can it can be a mess. Like um, there was one tract in Terry County that I did uh, seven or eight years ago. This group of people, group of about fifty people out of Wichita Falls, bought all the minerals under it, and they never filed anything after that. And I think total. When we finally finished up title on it, there was like 175 probates that we were able to find. And it took six months, six to nine months. So it just just on one track, just on one track, just on 640 acres. That's insane. And so so in 640 acres is a section of land, Mm -hmm. which is very, very common. Yeah. But if you find like a ranch, yeah, it's been in the family ever since the early 1900s, that's easy to run because they're not. It's all like their kids as kids as kids. It's yeah. all staying one. So, so, all right. So let's say we have something from 1900, right? And it sold, it sold, it sold. But that's really not what I've seen is not the problem. It's when it sold and then one piece of the family that got, you know, one fifth or one eighth of those royalties end up start selling them. And then they get fragmented. Like I own some minerals myself personally. And so through one of our entities and we literally own, and some of these wells and some of these that they've come in, it's like 0.00098. I mean, it's like one, one millionth of a share of whatever comes out of that. You'll have I mean, anywhere from one owner to 150 owners. It's nuts. You just, one person dies and they have 10 kids. In that's where it goes down. Yeah. Then it just keeps getting split, split, and split. And that's why we still have a job. Because, I mean, a lot of these, most of the areas they're, they're working on now are all, the title's correct on them. They're not, do, they're not doing a uh, big areas of new leasing prospects. They're going back in and drilling, um, Formations and areas they know that are going to produce. So that's really switching the gears here. And I like that because like a lot of people don't understand that technology changed so much from 10 years, 20 years, 30, 50 years ago. Like you're saying now there's laterals and it's miles long and all that stuff. But now it's like seismics there. And there's so many things that they can actually tell where oil's at with the higher probability there was from 30 or 40 or 50 right. years ago. That's why they used to call it wildcatting because, yes. I mean, Wells was – I mean, you were lucky if you got one, right? But right. but it was pretty much the easy stuff to get. You drill a hole, and there's oil there. It's a pocket of oil, and you pump it up, and that's – Yeah, they just, they just keep going deeper and deeper and deeper and finding new formations. Right. And but now you can actually test, and you can actually figure out if with a very high probability – because some of these wells now are, I mean, three to five million dollars just to. That's drill. cheap. Yeah, yeah, that is cheap now. Because <laughs> I heard there's some that are like eight million that I've heard. Oh, there was a well in I think it was either Mexico or Oklahoma. And it, I think they spent like almost twenty on it. Twenty million dollars to drill one well. It was, uh, I think it was like eighteen thousand feet deep. It was a two and a half mile lateral. That's crazy. $20 million to drill one well. And if you miss it, you miss it. You're shit out of luck. That's pretty much what it is. I mean, for them, it's just a slap on the wrist. Oh, too bad. We'll get to the next one. But you're talking about the majors. You're talking yeah, about the majors. Some, yeah. These mom and pop shops, they're, if they drill a dry hole, then they're, they're up shit creek for a little bit. So, because they don't, they don't have as much production and their production per day is not near what these majors. Yeah, you're talking about like hundreds of thousands to millions of barrels. Right. That's nuts. So, 
So if you're going back to that, so technology's changed a lot, right? So they they have higher probability of drilling wells, and they know that there's stuff there. So how how do people make money in, in oil and gas? I'm not talking about the major corporations, right? Everybody knows how the major corporations, but in our world. In, and especially my world, we, we, we think of it three different ways, right? So we got surface, right, minerals, and they got we got working interests that actually produce it. Now you also have, which we say upstream, downstream, and midstream, right? And so upstream is like everything's being pulled out, right, downstream, or did I get that backwards? Downstream is everything that's going, the consumer's using. Yes. Yeah, so I get it right. Upstream is everything's getting pulled out. Downstream is every, everybody that is consuming it. So it's literally the the end. So you're at a gas station kind of deal, right? Mm-hmm. And then the midstream is how do you get the oil from where you produced it, pulled it out of the ground, to where it's going to be refined, and then back to the consumer, which a lot of people do not understand that's a whole process there. And there's money to be made on midstream. Uh, that's, that's not my forte. Like, I have never... We've been involved in a little bit of midstream. Uh, we used to work right-of-ways, and we did gathering systems. So um, when you say right-of-ways, you're getting right-of-way permits, right-of-way. To do pipelines. To do pipelines, right? Yep. And that's really where midstream is. So they're laying the pipeline. And this is where the Keystone Pipeline, what, a couple of years ago, was just. Rest in peace. Yeah. <laughs> but. Yeah, so that got nixed. What, right. what and it, you know kind of the details on that, right? Like there was the pipeline was already there. So there so there is already a Keystone pipeline. Yes. Everybody like says that they're like tearing up all new I mean, it was already there. They're just adding another pipe. All they were to, gonna do is extend the easement width and put in a bigger pipeline. It's alongside the one that's the, existing. The one that's already there. It's I had, nuts. A, I had a buddy in East Texas. He bought like two hundred acres of surface just because he knew that the Keystone was going through. So it paid back pretty much everything he paid for that land on his easement. On his easement. So did did that actually go through or did yeah, he end up No, when the Keystone went through. Oh, the original one, original. not the yeah, not the one that that the current administration just nixed yeah. for no reason. For no reason. Yeah. That's Democrats. <laughs> but we love them cuz gas prices and oil prices are up. It, yeah. Every it, time. I, I want to. Hey, can you pull that up, Ryan? Can you can you see like the, the, this is what I think is funny that, and it's not funny. It's sad, and it's sad in so many ways. Like every single time Democrats take office, only gas pretty much doubles. Right. I mean, I mean, there's very few times that hasn't happened. I'm not saying that's a guarantee, or I'm not, you know. But if you go back and look at history, like. And I'm not bashing Democrats. I think it's great on either party. I'm not trying to be political here. I'm just saying, stating a fact. Every single time we look at it, and we go back with our economists and with our CFAs, we look at it too, and we're like, all right, Democrats are in the House. All right, so it's time to buy oil and gas. You know what I'm saying? It's the Republicans try to ease that a little bit, which pulls prices down in, in that sector of, of the financial world, right? Yeah. And makes it a lot easier to actually invest. Because um, regulations... Control it all. Control it all. And then once they put all these regulations on drilling, it costs more to drill. Yeah. And then supply and, and demand becomes a huge issue. Yes. So. And, and so, and then this is what I, I think is funny. Ron, can you pull up that? We, we looked this up earlier. Can you pull up what Biden actually said during the, and I thought this was hilarious too. Yeah. Give me one second. The, uh, what he actually quoted during. Uh, the $69 muscle hack is taking over the market. <laughs> 
He's an ad. Give me one second. I'm not drunk enough to talk like Biden right now. The <laughs> the uh, the funny part is is uh, this is at the uh, the State of the Union. Yeah, address. State of the Union. Thank you. I was going blank there. This is State of the Union address, and and I, when he said this, I I dropped my draw. Um, it was so bad. I said we're going to need oil for at least another decade, and that's going to exceed <laughs> and beyond that. We're going to need it. Production. So, I mean, that, that's, a, that's a lot of people think that production is actually going to go down with, and I'm a, I'm a big AV guy. Like, I have a Tesla, and I have a Tesla because autopilot's awesome. Yeah. Y'all make fun of me all the time for it. But I, being in oil and gas, I can't drive around a <laughs> Tesla. I got. I have to have a V8 gas yeah. guzzler, so. And I do it because I just like the autopilot in it. And it's awesome. It's a fun car to have. But the, like the production, the future production is crazy. So we, we looked it up. We looked up. What's the future production of oil and gas, Ryan? Let me pull that up for you. <laughs> I'm throwing him under the spot twice in a row. <laughs> All right, here it is, right here. So where'd this come from? Then this come from the economic or the energy? Yeah, it came from uh, I, petroleum. Give me a second. Oh, oh, with this, like. I mean, this is going out to 2050. And if you just look at, like, low economic growth, I mean, you're still way over 100. So, and we're dipped down during COVID where we were below – 90 i mean yeah it's from the spe i don't really know exactly what that is and that the petroleum energy org yes and so if you just go to a reference line i mean we're gonna be over 125 and this is million barrels per day that that is like and if you go to like a higher oil production or or the economic growth model which really gets into how is that going to be like you're talking about China's fixing to open up, right? India's opening up, COVID, all these things. So I, I think oil demand's going to be higher, way higher in the next 10, 20, 30 years than what it is today. It's actually petroleum because majority of stuff in this office is made from petroleum. It's not all oil that goes in your cars. Right. That's, that's just a part of what they pump out. So when they refine it, a lot of, a lot of the petroleum and stuff, they, they're using it to build computers or desk plastics i mean you name it it's probably got something to do with oil and gas everything is made out that's why everything's they're trying to they're trying to transition too fast like and it, i don't disagree with transitioning to non i don't i don't either right but it, when you're against nuclear power yeah, yeah that's crazy and then like natural gas is one of the cleanest energy that, that, that we have at this point and they're all against it I mean, outlawing gas stoves and you name it. It's nuts. The opinions voiced in this podcast are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a decision. (laughs) So how would you make money if you're... In oil and gas, besides like just going and buying stocks or just going and doing that, how would you actually make money in oil and gas? How do y'all make money besides your day job of being your human capital in it? 
So, I would all right. So if you're if you do not own any minerals right now, yeah. Uh, right now is a very difficult time to get into it. Yeah, just hypothetically, like in theory, like how, how do you know you get twenty five percent in it? So you have to go to somebody and you have to actually say, hey, you own some minerals. Which how would you even go find where minerals are at? How would you go look that up? So you could you could start looking up drilling permits. A lot a lot of the buyers are permit followers. So whenever a permit hits, if somebody files it, state of Texas, everybody jumps on that property, and they try to go in there and buy any mineral interest or MPRIs, which is a non-participating royalty interest, which you actually do not get a lease bonus, or you you have nothing to do with the actual leasing of the mineral interest. It's only if production happens, then you'll get a percentage of production. So you can find these, there have been a lot of MPRIs that are carved out of mineral interest. So say that you own 100% mineral interest, Mm -hmm. and back in the day, there was a one-eighth or 12.5% MPRI that was carved out to somebody. That burdens your interest. So your 25% bonus on your lease is you have to, they have to subtract an eighth of that to the MPRI owner. So it's burnt. So you're not getting that full 25%. You're getting whatever that ends up being like, like 21% or was that 18 and a half or whatever it ends up being. Yeah. Whatever that ends. We've had calculators now, so (laughs) yeah, we got to look that one up, but yeah you're getting a less because of a third party actually owns and, and that's, that's gone forever. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that land, that track that you, you went and you're trying to buy, you're not buying a hundred percent interest in it because the only gas company is going to lease that. And they're going to be able to take 75% of that for taking the risk of drilling on the land. Right. So you're left with 20 or 25%, whatever it ends up being. Yes. Okay. So, now, how would you go look and find out who owns what minerals and where's those minerals at? And how would I go? You got to do title on it. And that's where we come in. Gotcha. So usually, um, if people want to buy stuff, they hire us to do the title on it. And we figure out who owns what, and they can come in here and try to buy whatever they want out of it. I mean, majority of people will not sell their minerals because they've been told by their grandparents and their grandparents. Never sell your minerals. Never sell your sell minerals, and it's just some people will because you never know if they're going to produce, especially if it's non-producing minerals. So what's that mean? So if there's been no production on that land, so say there's this area that's about to pop off, they think, which you never know until they start drilling. You can go in there and buy minerals that have not made a single penny since it was patented from the state. Hmm. Those are the easiest ones to buy because it's all risk. It's unimproven. And then the owner's like, well, I'm not making any money off of it. That's free money. Mm. So usually it's like it's heirs of the people that originally had it. So they're like, we'll sell it. I mean, we're not making any residual income right now. So might as well get paid a fat sum and walk away now. Walk away. Because. We have no idea if it's going to produce in the future. And so is that called a net mineral acre or is that a net royalty acre? That's a net mineral acre. Okay, so explain what that is. Net mineral acre compared to a net royalty acre. All right, so in Texas, a section of land averages 640 acres. Correct. So 
There are 640 net mineral acres under that tract. Okay. Fall in you now. Okay. So you if one of the heirs or somebody owns 20 net mineral acres, you can try to purchase it off of them for, I mean, 20 acres. Right. So you're buying 128 net mineral acres. It doesn't turn into a net royalty acre until it's leased. Okay. So I thought it was when it was actually drilled and producing. No. Once, once your mineral interest is leased, it turns into a royalty acre. Because okay. you, you still own the minerals, yes, but that mineral interest is burdened by that lease, which turns it into a royalty. So is it more valuable or less valuable? Well, it depends on – it's kind of a difficult because – The situation that each one of these are It depends in. on if it's producing or not. Right. Um, mainly people will buy in our – Net royalty acres when they're producing. That's when we really go at the, the NRA. But usually everybody goes off of un, or mineral interest, like net mineral acres before that. Um, but, like, especially in New Mexico, all that production out there, everything is NRA. So if you go in there and you buy it and it's not producing, that's kind of the, the, the windfall kind of concepts right is you're hating it there's nothing here i could buy it at a cheaper price and if somebody ever goes and leases so we got to explain how you go and lease because i think there's a gap there all right let's let's go back to the net royalty versus net mineral mm-hmm. so the really the only difference in that is how we price it so we price a lot of people have, have moved to net royalty acre pricing on everything so what's the difference uh it is a calculation. So pretty much it's, so say you own 10 mineral acres. Mm-hmm. You're leased at 25%. So so that's two and a half acres times eight. Why is it times eight? That's, that's, there's been, there's a lot of discussion between, there's two different calculations on how to do it. This is the one that we usually go by. And it's like a 0.125 is what we always multiply it by and they got to the eighth and that's going all the way back to like the stock market yeah. time where everything was in eight at this point in this conversation i think we just need to sideline that one yeah it's just going to confuse <laughs> everyone but yeah net mineral acres is probably the best way to do anything okay so, so it gives it kind of whole numbers there you don't have to worry about it at the point right so you're going to buy net mineral acres whether it's producing or not but they could call them net royalty acres right right but m- m- majority if you're if you're an Executive mineral owner. Mm-hmm. Executive means that you have rights to lease. and So there are some non-executive mineral interest owners, which they own mineral interest, but they do not have the right to sign a lease. So that was sold off to somebody else that owns some other minerals with that group or with that acreage. Majority of the time, if the service owner will reserve them so huh. that they control. Who can lease who it? Can that, lease. that makes so much sense then. That, so, that, that really makes a lot of sense. So especially – when these big these people with these huge ranches, mm-hmm. whoever owns the surface will keep the executive rights, but they'll give the mineral interest out to all theirs, mm-hmm. and so that they can control who comes on their land. Who, right. Yeah. So that makes a lot of sense. Yep. That 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 really does. And so if you're an investor, you could go in and buy surface, which you're just going to buy on land at that point in time. You don't know. No, I'm just talking about like I'm a farmer, I'm a rancher, and I'm going to buy land, mm-hmm. right? 
or you're you're just Joe Blow and says, I, I want to just go buy, you know, some pasture land out in West Texas. You can just go that and you pretty much own the surface. You own the, you you will own the surface. Yep. There's a possibility that you own mineral interest too. Yeah, because that could come with it depending on the deal. Depending on looking. it. And because that's getting less and less common, I've seen. Right. Everything has been split the majority of the time, but um a lot of the Service owners still own just a little bit of minerals. Most of them do. The majority of them, I would mm. say. But I think in the past, past like 20 or 30 years, it's been it's getting split more, where it's only surface, which I've we've seen that a lot. And so then you have a complete split between. You got to negotiate both sides of that. Right. You got to negotiate who owns the land and getting on the land and being able to put some on. And you got to pay them to do that because they're not going to let you come on their land unless you write some type of check to them. And no, and no matter if you're the surface owner and own minerals, they're still going to pay you for surface use. Right. So, so if you own both, you get you get double right, double profits on there. Yeah. And so if somebody leases, like an old company comes to you and they want to lease up your minerals. Like I literally got a call today from a planning client that we had. And he was like, Brandon, the guy's wanting to pay me 75 bucks and on – I think he had, uh, he said, 100 net mineral acres. $75 an acre? Yeah. For, to lease it. To lease it? Yeah. And it's like there's one well there. He said there's a lot of water in that well, and they tried it, and and he goes, and he's gone from $25 to $50 to $75. And I really can't give advice on this, So, but he's asking me as a planter, like, what should we do? And I'm going, look, I just got to share with you three or four guys that – I trust that understands the industry and kind of push him off onto that side, but also kind of talk him through what do you want? So it really half of planning of what I do is trying to understand what the client's objectives are. And once you understand what they're trying to do, then you can kind of point them in the right direction inside of there. And I don't try to cross those boundaries or, or fall in that world uh, too much. And that's where I've, I've called you many a times going, Hey, John Michael, like, Seriously, like have a conversation with this guy for me because I have no clue what is what he's trying to accomplish. And so I think a lot of and, and especially because I deal in West Texas with farmers. Right. And right. these guys are just calling him up, hound him up, hound him. He said he's called me three times this week. And I'm like, dude, like he there's something going on there. And so I don't want to tell you to do one thing or the other one. I can't. Two is is you're really playing in a weird space because if somebody's really coming after you in that space, they want something. There's something fixing to happen. So you have the upper hand. You have the upper hand. So there's no reason to rush it. But it's really kind of coming back to a guy like you that really understands the industry a little bit more. And then he can research why there's a motive why that guy is coming to you. Because right. there's there's got to be a reason he's willing to write you a check. Nobody's going to write you a check for no reason. Nobody's going to lease land if they're not going to drill yeah, it. Yeah. And it, so or, or at least have a plan to drill it. Well, eh, there, are, there are companies like that. But yeah, a few and far that. between, right? Uh, there's, there's a huge leasing project down in. Uh, Dawson and Gaines County, they leased uh, it was an absurd amount of acreage, and they drilled one well. I mean, Chesapeake did the same thing in 2012 down here. Really? I mean, they they were thinking this area was going to be hot, and then nothing happened. So they so when you when a oil company leases, that's what I'm going to get to. They don't have right, like they're not buying the minerals from the mineral owner. No, they're just getting a right to drill. For a certain period of time. Yeah, the ma majority of leases are three years. And then uh, I, I would say probably 
nowadays not anymore, but back in the day where they had a two-year option to extend. So after the three-year expiration, the primary term expired, they could extend it with another bonus payment. They could extend it for two more years. If, say, their drilling schedule it just wasn't going to fit into that primary term, mm-hmm. they'll extend that lease. So break that down a little bit. So I own minerals. Oil companies coming to me saying, I'm going to pay you, kind of like the guy that called me today, 75 bucks, 100 bucks, or whatever it is per acre just for the option to be able to drill on this land. Mm-hmm. All right. After that, if they don't drill in that time, if they drill in that time, they hold that lease, right? As long as there's production. As long as there's production for a duration or a time? as No, as long as it's producing and paying quantities. It depends on your lease, too. So your lease could be, it has to pay 20 barrels a month at minimum. And if it doesn't, then the lease is null and void after that. So it expires worthless. Like you can put anything in your oil and gas lease that you want. Really? So if you're saying, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll sell you this, but it's got to produce. So how long does that have to produce before it becomes null and void? Is that usually 30 days, a year, six months, five years? Like if you drilled, if an oil company drilled, they got oil off there, they're holding that lease, and then it stops producing, what's the longevity before it becomes null and void? Depends on your lease because there's also a continuous drilling clause. Okay. And majority of them are 180 days. All right. So that's what I was getting to. So so the norm is like you you got to have some type of production, whatever you put in your lease in the first, in a three-month consecutive period. And if you don't do that. Right. Like a lot of, if you, we have a, a big range that we drill on in uh, Garza County. They have a drilling schedule that if you don't drill a well every six months, that lease expires to all that land except for what's producing. So your proration unit and your depths. So there's, I mean, every single oil and gas lease is different. And so you research that too. Yes. So we have to figure out what's all in there. Uh, So you have vertical and horizontal pew clauses, which when that lease expires, it will release all the surface acreage that's not in the proration unit. So like most vertical wells are 40 acres. Um, gas wells can be 160 to 320 usually, and then it'll release every depth below the formation that you're producing in. So say you drilled, you're producing at 10,000 feet. It'll, it'll release everything below that. Somebody else can come in and lease the rights below. Hmm. So, but a regular like producer 88 lease in Texas does not have pew clauses in it. And usually... I mean, you have a cessation clause. You've got, you have, there's so many different legal clauses in those leases that dictate what they can do and what they can't do. And this is where uh, we were talking last week when, when we were talking about coming on the podcast and we were, we were talking about uh, there, there's a couple of guys in West Texas that, you know, are changing the way they're like, they're filing, they're making a deal with the mineral owner and then they're changing it last minute before they file. And it's coming back and biting them pretty hard. And so you have to really go to an attorney, a, an oil and gas attorney. Like, not all attorneys are the oh, same. No. You oil and ha- gas attorney. You have to go to an oil and gas attorney that's educated and experienced in that. And you really need to go to a guy like you, which is your, your title in the industry is kind of a landman, right? Right. 
Right. And that that's the common common name. Common name's a land man. So you actually go and research all the title, you make sure everything's set up right, and you work pretty much with attorneys if you need to to make sure title's done right and, and you get everything changed. Because before we ever drill a well, all of our title goes to a title attorney to do a title opinion. So we do a drilling title opinion first. Once they once we get all that straightened out, cured, everything's good. They'll drill. Once they drill and they know there's going to be production, they'll do a division order title opinion, which breaks down who is getting paid off of the well. Mm. And so there's there's differences in that. Um, majority of the DTO is just to make sure that you have all your mineral owners leased, or if people are not leased, that gets brought up. So we try to fix that. And it, and it works out who owns working interest in the actual property and all the acreage. So. So you can own minerals, but you can also own leases too. Working interest. Okay. Yes. And working working interest is very different. It's yeah. And it really does get different. like, I've, I've explored that personally on a couple once I've never, it, it is, all of this seems like risk to me, so I can't recommend anything to anybody on there. And I'm not making a recommendation to be clear here because unless you do it, but I get calls and I get asked probably a thousand times a year about minerals. And it's mainly for me, it's to kind of educate on where people go wrong. And what I see is, I'm, you know, I have a half dozen, dozen attorneys that call me up all the time and they're like, Hey, Brandon, like there's all these minerals and they're, they're, you know, this 78, 90 year old lady passed away. And now all these oil companies are, are coming after it. I have, you know, I can do all the title opinion or I got a guy to do that, but I have no idea like what is worth what. And so that's kind of where you kind of come in and you're going, Hey, let it's almost like a realtor. You you have ways and systems and softwares that you can come in and you can look around and kind of get a, a idea of what things are going to happen in that area. It's, it's not scientific. It's more like art. Yeah. Yeah. Like you, you have to be in the industry and you understand it kind of like a realtor, like they can get comps in an area, right? You can kind of figure out what things should or could go for and how much oil is being produced in this well a hundred yards away from this well down down the street. Right. Does that make sense? And and so that's where I kind of think a lot of people when they look at minerals is it's they're not all the same. No. And everybody thinks, hey, this guy in the clampets, coming to the clampets, well, right? A lot of people they're like, Well, my cousin down in Reeves County, he got twenty five thousand dollars an acre for his minerals. And you live in Lynn County. He's expecting to get the same thing. And those go for? I mean, they're anywhere from 800 to 1500 Yeah, so, so it's of the a time. stark difference. It's not even in the Cause, same neighborhood. Because I got to just say, well, look how much production's down there. Yeah. So the probability of producing oil in that market or in that county. And so everything's broken up by county. Yes. Well, no, it's by areas. By areas. Because, like, Dawson County, north part, doesn't produce barely anything. Once you get south of town, it's there's 
great production, South Dawson. So it's just it just depends on where you are, um, and it and it can end in two hundred feet. Really? Yeah, you can have wells everywhere. On the other side, there's nothing because that shelf doesn't go up there. And so that shelf is where everything's getting pulled to, and all the minerals are there, or all the oil and gas is there, and then it goes off, and it's just nothing. Right. And so it just moves that quick, and that just like a river, pretty much. Yeah. So I mean, it's it's hit and miss everywhere. That's crazy. So, do you think the industry is going to change over the next twenty to fifty years, other than technology? I mean, I go to a couple of these conferences that we get invited to, or, or we attend, especially in in Midland and stuff like that. But I mean, that they talk about technology is really going to drive the oil and gas industry for over the next twenty to fifty years. Is and we've had this conversation probably six nine months ago where you're saying, hey, eventually everything's going to be owned by some type of majors or, you know. Because you, you notice all these companies are merging together mm-hmm. or they're acquiring another company. And I think, I mean, my opinion is I, I think you're going to have everything owned by majors. Back when oil was 125 in the day, all these small operators tried to come in and drill as much as they possibly could. And they went bankrupt. Once it dropped, they were done because they they had no cash flow. The opinions voiced in this podcast are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a decision. But the people that always find out that are in it are people are in it because they were inherited it, and they. You see what I'm saying? It's like they never even intended to get into oil and gas, but something happened where their great-grandma, great-aunt, you know, second cousin's brother, right, gifted them some some minerals, and they're in it now, right? And they don't know what to do. And so what's the easiest thing if you don't know what to do? How would you go about trying to understand it? Who would you reach out to? It's not like you can call up a look at the yellow pages and go, I need a landman. I mean, it's like y'all guys are not – deep in the streets like you're advertising in the yellow pages you know what i'm saying it's it's a very niche market it's all about who you know in this industry it is it's crazy how that works and and so how would guys that if you found out that you own minerals or that you're wanting to sell them and your grandmother has them how would they know that they're working with in my world it's easy to go find a fiduciary right so most financial planners and advisors, the way the industry is structured is you have to be a fiduciary. In your world, that's not the case. No. I mean, not even close. It's the Wild West. I've seen some stuff that's like insane. And there is, it's get what you can get and screw everybody else. It doesn't matter. Like if you can make a deal, make the deal. Right. And so you got to be really careful in that space. And So there's a lot of actual mineral and royalty buying companies. I mean, there's I get a letter every single week. Right. Okay. So you can actually go on their websites and just search and just put in, hey, I'm interested in selling. And more than likely, they'll give you a price. And what I suggest would be to shop it around if you're the actual owner. Just like you would in real estate. Yeah. My grandma gets a letter every single day. And she's like, hey, is this a good deal? Is this a good deal? And it keeps going up. I'm like, nope. It's like, if you really want to sell it, counter with this amount and see what they say if they're really 
serious about it. Most of them, all they do is they pull tax records from the county on producing properties, and they just mass mail out. That's all they do. They don't. They've never actually like looked at your title or anything. So they're blanket marketing you. Yeah. Just based upon the tax records of who owns those minerals. Right. That's it. And it's that simple. That simple. Because you can actually download tax records from most appraisal districts. Is that where you go to find title? No. So where do you go to find title? Well, where do I? It used to be the courthouse. So you'd have to go to every qu- county courthouse to find title. Yes, but now with technology and COVID, COVID really helped us, and now everything's online. And so, I used to travel all the time. Now I don't travel at all. Like everything is right there in front of me on my, on my computer, and you might have to use four or five different websites, but you can get everything done. I would say 95% of the stuff you need to do from your computer. So you're, you're spending a lot of your time just researching like an attorney would. Right. And now I, now I can get work completed a whole lot faster than when you had to travel all the time. Yeah. And Cause you're, I mean, you're losing that time at traveling. Right. And it's easier to search and you don't have to pull up paper records. I don't have to pull books off the wall. Or dig through dusty probates, and it's... So how do you do the probates? Because probates aren't online. A lot of them are. Really? Uh-huh. A That's lot insane. Of, a lot of, pretty much a lot of the courthouses, they put everything online. Um, New Mexico is... Well, so what happens is if there's a hot county, they will get everything online. Because they're... A lot, of, a lot of clerks do not like the landmen. Be- being bugged all the time, I could imagine. Yes, copies and whatever else. They do not like it at all. And so they prefer to have everything online where you get online, find it. You can actually, like, like especially in New Mexico, you, you find it online, call it, order it, and they'll email it to you instead of having to go. That's nice. So. So make sure it cuts down all the overhead, cuts down all the work and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So you're more efficient to what. And it saves doing. money. It saves money for the operators or whoever the client is, because they don't have to pay for hotels, they don't have to pay for mileage, they don't have to pay for copies, and it makes it a, just more efficient across yeah. the board. That's where the world's going. That's nuts. That's crazy and interesting. I just I love the oil and gas industry because I love people going out there and trying to understand something to make money off of. And as long as they do it responsibly and they do it with the best education. I, and I trust you. I tr- trust a lot of guys I've worked with inside of this. And and it's hard for people that call me up to actually go, hey, Brandon, you're my financial planner. And what should I do? It's, you know, it, it's it's such an open box because you have no idea what reference they're talking about. Like the guy that called me today, like he was saying, Hey, he's offering me 20, 25, 20, 25. I was like, all right. So I was thinking 25,000. I was thinking he's wanting to buy your minerals. And I was like, look, I can't make any recommendations. I can't talk to you about this, but what I can do is put you in place in contact with three to five guys and they can look at it. And by the time the five minute conversation was over, he was literally talking about his lease was up, which, and they were offering him 20 bucks, then 50 bucks and then $25 and then 75 bucks. And he was talking about a two year lease. And I was like, that is completely different than selling your minerals. And I think that's the disconnect a lot of people have. And then they get bombarded with investing 
believing in these things, when it becomes working interest and, and all of those, it's so risky on any front that you're doing, whether it's a lease, owning minerals, or if you're actually doing um, working interest and actually participating with the oil company to put the well in. So with working interest, you buy into, you're not buying anything. Oh, that's good. That's good, huh? That is ridiculously good. Yeah. That, that That's going to give our other one a run for its money. I had to bring that bottle because it's very different. It is very different, but it is very good. Anyways. Uh, so with working interest, you, buy in, you don't buy anything. You buy into the lease. That's all you're doing is buying that lease. And so once that lease expires, it's gone. Your working interest is done. So, and that's the question I well, it, it, if it If there's no production. In that period that they have the lease. Then it's gone. But if they extend it, you have to participate in this extending, correct? Yes. Because of most, majority of the time now, nobody has extensions. If, you, if you're doing a lease correctly, you don't put an extension in your lease ever. I don't know. It's on, it's on my side saying that. But uh, always just do a three-year term, and then they'll have to come back and release for the whole three-year three, three period next time. Hmm. Or you can even, if they're like, hey, your lease is expiring. We're going to drill in the next six months. Give them a six-month term. You don't have to do the three-year. So – you got to figure out, ask questions. Like a lot of a lot people of will tell you what you want to know if you just ask. Yeah, just ask because we'll tell you. I mean, like we have a lot of owners. I mean, when you when you're dealing with a savvy mineral owner, they'll go, "Well, when do you plan on drilling? What formations are you going at? What's your timeline? What's your drilling schedule look like?" And so watch. that's all the questions to ask. Yeah, like at, ask what they're actually going to do, and you'll get a better feel for how to approach your lease, how to approach negotiations with your lease. Should you really, though, if you're not educated, ever try to negotiate with them? Like, I just don't. No comment. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, no, like, because we, all right. I mean, we, you find all these, uh, we have mineral interest owners all over the U.S. And yeah. they have, and some of them, most of them don't have any knowledge I would say 95% of the people I have a conversation with had limited to no knowledge in what they're doing. If you're, if you're in the state of Texas, you probably have knowledge. I don't know, man. Based on who owns the minerals that we deal with. Yeah, but you're talking about big boys. You're talking about guys that have hundreds to thousands well, no. of mineral acres. Well, no, it's, it's because Betty Jane knows somebody in the oil and gas industry. Everybody knows somebody in the only. Yeah, that is true. In West Texas, that's true. So what true. they do is they go to that person. Right. So like, I mean, when we lease, we give fair um, terms. I mean, we're not we're not trying to go in and trying to just like, hey, here's twenty five dollars for your for this lease. All right. So I got to ask you. Like, we had a guy that called me up and um, and he was like, "This guy is top leasing." And I was like, I, I, like, I have no comment. Like, my, my, I have no idea. Like, at the time, I did not know what top leasing was. There's a company that starts with a D that made a lot of money off of doing that. So, what is it? 
So if there's a lease and there's been no production on it. So going back to that 180 days where typically you have to. Oh, no. These guys were going top leasing like a year and a half before expiration. Explain that because that makes no sense to me. Okay, so say that there's a lease. That, uh, your primary term started January 1st, 2020. Okay. These guys knew the area was was about to fire off. They came a year and a half later, top leased it. So the day. What is top leasing? Explain top leasing is saying, hey, we're going to lease your acreage starting. Jan- so it's, so that, that first lease, January 1st, 2020, expires January 1st, 2023. So these guys are like, hey, we're going to give you this bonus. We're going to pay 10% down right now. So as soon as the day that that expires, as long as there's no production or any drilling going on at the time, it automatically goes to them. So you're pretty much cutting out the negotiations of the existing lease owner. Yes, because you know, most of the times those big companies, they don't even realize that lease expired. Because they own so much, they don't have time to do the research. Yeah, they're, they're getting better about it, though. Yeah, I, I would think there's software that you could create now uh, that... Yeah, yeah, they've got all all that now. But, like, years ago, that's what people were doing. Was They were top leasing. Most of, most of the top leases come in later on in the term. But some of the bigger money guys, they'll top lease early. So the day that that expires, it's theirs. Mm. And then, so say that that well was on the drilling schedule... For this other company, they're at, they have to go back in and buy that lease off this new company. Just to finish out their well or start doing whatever they're trying to do. Right. And so there's no, a well, margin there. So th- so that's why the continuous drilling clause is in there. So they have 180 days. If they start drilling before that primary term expires. It carries it. It carries it. It's fine. So And, and so is it carried on one acre? Is it carried on? Whole lease. F- so the whole lease. So whatever that whole lease is, it, that one well would carry that whole lease, even though it's thousands of acres. Yeah, as long as you are continuously going by the lease clauses and lease. So if you created a lease that says, hey, to continue your continual continuous drilling, mm-hmm. you have to drill, you know, every 180, 160, a quarter of a section, 160 acres, you have to continue to drill or hold production every 160 acres or or you only get carved out? Is that how that works? You get carved out of everything else that's not on there so you can reduce that lease? Yeah, once once they are done drilling, mm-hmm. depends on your lease. If you've got pew claws in there, once they're done drilling, all the land that's not in a proration unit set, by, set with the Railroad Commission is released. Mm. But there's a lot of leases that are that don't have pews in them. And so... It covers everything. There'll be a whole section, 640, and there's a 40-acre proration unit that's drilled and producing. It'll hold that whole section. Yeah, I've seen that more times than not. That'd be In Mexico, with, with BLM leases, you'll have a lease that's like 1,900 acres, and there will be one well on that 1,900 acres that holds all of it. That's crazy. So you have to figure out where it goes. And that's when, like, they... S- we won't get into this, but they keep they segregate leases out. So if something's producing, they'll segregate the land out. That way, it'll get released earlier. So there's there's caveats there, or there's workarounds, right, inside of it. Yeah, that's interesting. And so, 
that that has got to be the the craziest thing that I've seen and the most amount of money. I mean, I've had I've literally had the Clampett story. And as four years ago, an attorney called me, good friend of mine. Well, he's probably gonna be on the on the podcast, Bennett. And he was like, Brandon, I need you to go meet with these guys. And I was like, all right, what's going on? And he goes, they their mother is has Alzheimer's and or and years ago they already moved things into trust. And now they're starting to prepare for oil. And I said, okay, great. And they were in Pecos. And they had thousands of acres for decades, like 30, 50 years. Never had anything drilled on them. And then all of a sudden, everybody came out of the woodwork and drilled on them. And literally making millions of dollars a day, practically, on this thing. And it was a crazy story. And they were able to get everything structured and you know, set out before she passed where it mitigated a lot of the estate tax liability, right? And and to fill that in, the estate tax liability, it changes every single year. But if, you know, currently it's like close to $24 million, a little over $24 million, husband and wife. And so if you have something worth more than $24 million, you have to pay estate taxes on the passing of the husband and wife within nine months of anything over that amount. And so they exceeded that amount because there was no production drilled on that. There was no valuation done on those minerals a year prior to her passing. And so they they put that into trust. They structured it all right, did everything by the book. And then they come in there and said everything was drilled. And within, I mean, 30 days, you know, they were drilling four or five wells. And these wells were producing 10,000 barrels a day. I mean, it was insane how much these things were producing and and just making a ton of money. And and what makes this story so cool, in my mind, is that family did not change one bit. I mean— they, I mean, most families change, right? When you start coming into a massive amount of money and, and wealth, and they just kind of lose it a little bit. The only thing this family did is because they were ranchers. Let's just go buy more land and continue being ranchers. Right. Maybe uh, have a better tractor. Yeah. No, they didn't even do that. I was like, like it, it, it's, it's, it's a West Texas thing. It is a West Texas thing to a certain thing. Like, I, I know a ton of people that have just... Just uh, live life. They don't care about the money. But his dad sold his company and came into millions. Hadn't changed a bit. No, I know the guy you're talking about. He, he, great guy. But yeah, but he's just like, that's just who he is. Like, it's just, he doesn't care. No, just enjoys life. And, he, and might, he might buy more horses or more expensive horses, but that's about it. Like, yeah, that, and he just, he likes being a rancher, man. He likes, yeah. he likes raising cattle and. Yeah, I want to go look at the cows all day. Yeah, and he still works his butt off. I'm like, why are you working so hard? And I mean, nobody understands that, especially in the last couple of years, these ranchers went through some hellacious, like, winters here. You yeah. know, one of the worst winters in Texas is history where, I mean, he was losing hundreds and thousands of cattle, and it was just because they were freezing to death, and they couldn't get any water, and everything froze over. But I, I uh, they're the sweetest family to this day. I, they're one of my favorite clients, and all my clients are great clients, but they they have a special place for them just because they're – you can always look at the way people handle wealth by the way their kids handle it. Right. And that that's the thing that I've learned after 12 years into that. And so th- – 
if their kids have that that center with them and they just don't get very objective, to, you know, and, and look at personal assets as things that are materialistic, I guess, is the best way to look at it. It was really cool. And, it, and that family is incredibly awesome to this day. And and it's neat how they've really helped their community. And, and there's a lot of things that you can do when you, when you come into right. it. I just don't like the picture that's painted on a national level that, you know, it's all about the majors and the big, huge oil companies because it trickles down. And I'm not talking about trickle down economics. I'm talking it trickles down to every single person. And for many, many years, these ranchers and farmers, and that's who owns most of the oil rights. Yeah. I mean, it's ranchers and farmers. And there wouldn't be the cattle that we produce today to eat if it wasn't for the oil industry to a certain degree producing a lot of revenue because the one thing you want to go broke really quick, get into ranching environment. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a tough industry to get into. So like some of these mineral owners, like they're in hard times and we give them a lease bonus and it completely changes their life. Completely. Like overnight. We've had, I've had that happen several times. And that kind of rewarding though. Yeah. It's kind of like, I mean, there's like, thank you. Like, like I really needed it. Like, and once, I mean, some of these people that never knew they owned it, and then they start making, uh, getting a two or three thousand dollar check a month, like it's, I mean, it's great for these people that actually really need it. So that's, what, that's, what, that's what the media does not see is like the actual owners. Well, they see it. They just don't want to focus on that. So let's flip the coin for a second there. Let's look at the other side of that coin. So what's the negative side to oil and gas? Nothing. <laughs> uh, there's well, got, there's got to be. I mean, because you see the, the the whole movies that were made where you can't drink the water and fracking is horrible. And I mean, there's you you got to look at it and like, is that true? I mean, like I know, like a long time ago, fracking doesn't have the regulations. It was a newer industry where you you see that that movie where they like literally lot the lit the uh, faucet water right right. Okay, so when all that came out. It was all these operators that didn't know what they were doing. But wasn't it kind of a newer industry, too, to start a, fracking? Was, yes, it was new. And a lot of these companies did not know what they were doing because they were the mom-and-pop shops that popped up when gas prices exploded. And everybody was just drilling, 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 and they were not following regulations. And like now, like, state of Texas, if you want to become an operator, you have to pay money in case something does happen. It's like a liability. Policy. It's like being bonded, or yeah, or, you, yeah. You have to pay it. You have to have some type of insurance, especially because uh, there's been a lot of like abandoned sites. So what that money does that goes in the state of Texas is helps to clean up those sites after they're they've been abandoned. And they're not producing anymore if that operator doesn't do it. So, so you're operator, talking about capping a well. So you cap a well, you plug it, and that operator goes bankrupt. So they they no longer exist. That money helps to help clean that site up to return it back to its normal state. Okay, so there, there's there's mechanisms in place to make sure everything's done safely. Yes, not in every instance, but in the large yeah, realm I mean, of the. Ma- ma- I mean, majority of drilling now is safe. I mean, you don't hear about like and I know the earthquake thing. That's, yeah, that's a, that's a different story. But I, I'm saying I'm not a geologist, so I cannot. We just lit what was that? A million tons of chemical on fire in 
Ohio this week. Yeah. That that's going through all of our water systems and rivers and all that stuff. And that's completely more harmful than what we have today in oil and gas. I mean, but I'll say like like the US is worried about they think that we're the biggest polluters. I mean, hands down. But like China, they I mean India India is and like I think that has to do in all fairness, that has to do with poverty. Right, like there, there's great studies on this it, that the the lower income you are, the actual more pollution you provide or you you, you use and you you not use is not the right word you produce you produce more pollution right. the lower income you are and I think there's a lot of merit that goes to that so I understand third world countries are actually going to be one of the worst and that's where I kind of have a disconnect with. The United States, Europe, the developed countries could do everything perfectly, but if two or three countries that are the largest populations in the world don't, it's not going to matter a whole lot. Yeah. And so I think it's a narrative that people need to change in the way that they look at is you need to make sure that the economic value that we've created in our country is not diminished to the point where there's where people are way worse than what they are today. Just for some hopium that that is statistically unprovable, that you that's gonna that's gonna change things inside of there. So, but the negative side to oil that I've seen, and I've just seen it, is to the simple fact that I don't think I think there needs to be regulations. And I come from a world where we are way over regulated inside the SEC and Finra. Okay? That's why that's why oil prices are always higher when a Democrat. When, when they when, when they, they overregulate, they overregulate, right. right? But I'm talking about regulation in the simple fact of of communication to the public. Like the stories I hear that always become like, man, that is so unethical. Mm-hmm. Is always the stories of the little old lady that got taken advantage of, that didn't know what she was signing because the fiduciary wasn't there. And it happens. It happens, right? And that's where I go. Hey, this is wrong. This should be addressed, and it's never addressed. Inside it's starting of to get addressed. All right, explain how. So, there was a company that was. It was a fake oil and gas lease. So what it did, instead of giving the, instead of leasing the minerals, they were pretending to lease the minerals, but she was actually conveying them. So what's the difference? You got to explain that. What's leasing compared to conveying? Leasing is for a a term only. Yeah, so you're talking about the three years term. You still own your minerals. You still own them. Okay. This was a fake one with language in it that that she wasn't reading that conveyed all of her mineral interests. So it means selling the minerals. Selling, and then she was getting a non-participating royalty interest back. Huh. And so we actually caught it. When I was I was in-house, and we caught it in a in Borden County. That was the first time I ever That's saw it. That's where I own my minerals. Okay, so Borden County. I was not a part of that deal at all. I don't know what he's talking about, but I'm so just like, saying. So we actually went to the clerk and said, hey, this, this document right here, is screwing people over. And she's I was like, so you need to watch out for this. Do not file these. Like, so we, I mean, I'm a very prudent land man. Like I, I'm not, I don't want to try to screw anybody over. No. And I think it comes down to basic morality. I know, but but there are people out there that are like, yeah, that's my point. And that, that's where I I mean, it happens. 
that's the negative side to oil and gas because it is still the Wild West in some degree. Right. And there is not enough, you know, like if, if you go and you are a real estate agent, you have to be licensed, right? Mm-hmm. You don't have to be licensed to be a landman. You don't have to be licensed to do no. a lot of these things. No. And so and you don't have to be a licensed, you know, and there's always that. And I'm not promoting over-regulations or licensing inside of there because I actually hate it. But there has to be certain basic ethics that everybody has to adhere to. But we live in a country where ethics is very debatable in today's terms. Yeah. With the, so, so they do have a, a the land side, ethics side. It's through the AAPL. What's that? It's the American Association of Petroleum Landman. Okay. So they will, if you get a, they can turn you into them. And then you will get blacklisted from everybody, from every company that's part of the AAPL, which most companies are. And so there is some basic regulation. They do have a little bit, right? But I mean, majority of the people, I will say, the majority of all of that has been taken out of the land business because the older generations are gone. It it's a under under 50 crowd now that are land men yeah that are still in the land business and like majority of us are all young really like everybody's everybody that i know is pretty much between 30 and 45 that i deal with so it's a the the older generation was used to having a day rate per diem staying in a hotel getting their meals comped all of that. But you also worked, it, worked on where you got to carry, too. Well, or an override. We, yeah, you, we can do that when we do land. When we do title, instead of getting paid, we'll get a carry from the deal. So explain what that is. So say that we... So say I do title on all this land. I'll take like a 6.25% of whatever we bought. So you're getting a small percentage of what you bought predicated on the simple fact that you're going to do all the work for free. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah that's fair. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not charging them for my title yep. or my time. I just want that percentage. And so there's, there's different ways of doing it. Like usually on deals. See, we can't do that in our industry. <laughs> yeah. But there's no like regulation on that. And like a lot of people, I know some people that have taken it from both sides. Which I don't agree with, like, because you're. What's that mean? So, say you are the middleman between two parties, one seller, one buyer. Right. Okay. You make a deal with both sides, where you're taking a cut off of both sides. Taking a cut off of both sides. Now, now you're taking a cut, but you're not taking an override or a carry, right? So, so because no. in a real estate transaction, right, a realtor takes a cut from both sides. Like normally, that is a six percent, and I'm just talking hypothetically here, right? But my wife's a realtor, like we buy a lot of real estate. But I mean, you get paid 3% to sell the property, you get paid 3% to buy the property. And that that figure can be negotiated. It's all up and down. I'm not speaking out of my realm. I'm just telling you my experience, right? But my my point is, is so I I don't know if I get where you're saying that's unethical to this simple pact. But I think the point you're trying to get to is you're not disclosing it to either party. No, 
And that's disclosed in a real estate transaction that they're getting compensation from both parties. And you're kind of going, well, I'm not getting paid on this side, but you are. And then I'm not getting paid on this side, but you are. And you're making it feel like, hey, somebody's got to pay me when both of them are actually paying you. Right. So it's unethical for the simple fact that a lot of guys out there are getting paid, but they're saying the other party's not paying them. Yeah, you, just, you have to have morals. Yeah, it's, it mean, all comes down to ethics. Like, right. I mean, like. Who would have known that? Ethics hey. actually does good things, right? No, it does. Like, and that's what I, I, I have quit communicating with certain people that do bad things. Like, I don't even want to, my name even brought up in that same with their name. Yeah, because ever. it's easy in your industry inside of there. My, mine's getting harder and harder. Where, where most people in my industry, and I've ran into a, lo- a few of them in my days, where, and they, they always get found. Like, it's like, it's not hard to be ethical. And, because what you have to cover your lies. Yes. Right. And you, and you, you can't cover your lies. Forever. You you can't cover your lies forever. So it's, no. it's such a short term game for it's crazy. So I always think that my growth in my business has always been for the simple fact that I probably over communicate and over educate because I never, ever want somebody to come back to me and go, Brennan. You know, you didn't tell me that. And I'm like, uh, Gustavo was in here. Uh, he was in one of our meetings, and he goes, Brandon. He talks too much? I know, right? He tells too much information? No. What? No. It's first time That's I ever crazy. heard this. Yeah, right? Did you have to <laughs> <get> my gasp <laughs> on the microphone? <laughs> <laughs> the, the simple fact is, is uh, that I had to tell a retiring widowed old lady like four times. And what was going on in this. And then I had to double check it all four times to make sure you, she understood it. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of that transaction, I did said, okay, we're going to go ahead and move forward with it, but we're not actually going to move any assets because I still didn't have the confidence that she fully understood every component of it. And so there's no downside to going, Hey, let's get back together in a couple of weeks let you internalize this, let you figure it out. And then we'll go over it one more time to yeah. make sure that's what you want. And sure enough today, the, the son called me and goes, my mom just wanted to thank you and go, Hey, we want to go and do exactly the plan that you put together. Mm-hmm. And I go, okay, explain to me the plan. What did she tell you? Because if she could tell you what the plan was, then I knew she understood it. Right. And I, I think that's really kind of what it comes back to, long story short, is is making sure that everybody's transparent in the way that the transactions go by. And the short-term gains, like I ended up being way wealthier, way more successful in every aspect of my life by just being able to be more transparent with it. And, it, you know, if somebody ever says, hey, Brennan, I got out of that meeting and you explained it too many times to me, I can live with that. Yeah, you're fine with that. I'm good with that, right? But no, like with our business, you have to – you have to keep your connections. So I've, I've dealt with. Yeah. Cause it's a small knit little community that you have. Yeah. So like, so like five years ago, uh, this lady contacted me from Lubbock. She, her parents were, they were about to die. She was trying to figure out what they own and what it was worth. And I can't, I was like, she was, she had mineral interests all over Texas and New Mexico and kind of figured out what everything was. The next year, she's like, hey, we got a lease offer. Can you deal with this? And then she's like, hey, my other side of the family wants to sell. Can you help me sell, help them sell So you it? build relationships that way. Yes. And that's how you make money. Right. Besides working with the oil companies, you actually work with the mineral owners yes. so that, to help them negotiate deals. So that was the biggest side for me, trying to flip to that 
mindset. Do you like that? I, I, I do if I could just do that. So I could completely flip. So Every, you're having to play both sides. Play like, both sides. Go back and work with the oil companies to get title or go back to the actual landowners but to I, actually I, negotiate deals. I love giving everybody a hard time that they used to give me all the time. Being on the other side, like I can say, I want this, I want that, I want this. And like, well, sorry, it's not going to happen then. Like, so just trying to, the negotiation portion is a little bit different, but I, I mean, I enjoy both, but if, if I had to do it, I would stay on the side that I'm, I'm on, I think. Which is the, the, the more operator buyer side. Buyer side. So not the seller, not the individual family like, side. I mean, I would if I had a big enough book and yeah, presence. But you, but if somebody wanted to reach out to you and go like, hey. I can negotiate. Yeah. Like, how would they get a hold of you? I mean, I'm very small. I know, right? I don't have a website. I don't. I know. That's why I'm asking. I'm trying to give you the plug, buddy. I know. Like, I, I'm trying to plug you here. I know, I'm trying to help yourself. What, uh JMG Land Resources, um, located in Lubbock, and um, just call call Brandon, and he'll get you in touch. I can't, but if they call me, I have to give them at least three to five names, man. So, plug yourself on that one. That's that's hard for me. See, I don't. See, I. That's the thing. I do. I do not do any advertising or. Yeah, you don't need to. I don't. Yeah. The opinions voiced in this podcast are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a decision. You're seasoned enough. How long have you been doing this, by the way? Uh, 11 years. 11 years. So you, yep. you're past that 10,000. I've made it through uh, three dips. Really? So I made it through COVID. That was the, that's when everybody cleared out. Everybody decided to switch professions after that so it's a lot smaller niche now oh yeah and now everybody's going well we don't want to just hire people from a job advertisement they're calling people that hey you did you worked for me for a week five years ago when you may mean you work for you a week it's more like you were working just, they contracted me for a week and they're like hey so that's kind of how your normal rhythm is yeah it's, it's, it's all about who you know I don't have a resume. I haven't had to update or, or send a resume in probably seven years. Really? And just, no. You just kind of go with it. And just, it's all people you know. That's crazy. And if somebody, ever, we have a we have a, a tight little group in Lubbock because there's not many of us. But when you say Lubbock, you're not actually meaning Lubbock. You go all over. You're all over the state of Texas. You were telling me Texas, you were getting well, up into the I state. I mean, not Dakotas, wasn't it? Where you were... Looking at uh, stuff? I've done a little bit up there, but not much. Like we mainly, majority of our area is well, New Mexico right now because it's hot. Like I don't understand that, man. And 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 this is help me understand this because New Mexico is one of the poorest states you could ever imagine. So listen to this. All right, and, and explain this because it pisses me off how bad New Mexico treats oil and gas, but they really hinder their residents in that state. Kind of state is it? I'm not gonna say it, but I, I, I'm, I'm just they I'm, want they so the so what it is is BLM leases and state leases have low royalty interest. So tell so tell like, everybody so what it, BLM so, is. So BLM is the U.S. 
Okay. The federal government. They own the minerals. Gotcha. The majority of those leases are 12.5% royalty. They're not even 25% like no. everything else. State is... Takes it is 83% of it? I mean, depends on what state, because they we're not going to get into that, but they have like sliding scale, and there's all sorts of different royalties, but they're very low compared to Texas. So why not go drill out there? You have a lot of overrides, like an overriding royalty. It's kind of like a non-participating royalty interest, but it comes from a lease. and So it's not forever, it's just however long that It's forever. Well, but the, I mean, if the well... It's forever on the yeah. lease. Forever on the lease, but if the well goes up... But the majority of those federal leases are from like 1940 to Oh, they're that long. Yeah. I, see, I was thinking they only go as long as the wells go, so they're only five or ten years. Okay, so here's a fun fact about New Mexico. So... I answered this question. How long does normal wells go? It's hard to say. I but, mean, so conventional big, wells always understood go for a very long period of time. Yeah, they're gonna they're gonna drop off. Yeah, but they still pump and they still produce yeah, you, for you 20, can, 30, 40 years. Yeah. Right? And isn't that a reference point is yeah, what I'm trying to get at. Well, with all the the older wells, so what they did was they unitized everything. Meaning. So they have like 50 wells in this area. They're all tight. They're all as close as they can be from state laws. So they're like 40 acres apart, really close together. Really, really close. So there might be only like uh, four or five that are still producing today, but it's still holding that unit. Gotcha. So there's there's all sorts of little things like those older wells, they still produce like those little vertical because they're very shallow. They don't take a lot. And so it's a little cost to run them, and they make a little bit of money. Yeah. And as long as they're producing enough to keep the leases going, it's fine. And then you, you go off on to – you're looking more at – if those producing wells compared to shallow, low cost, compared to like a lateral that's two miles – that production curve is steep, like ridiculous. Well, pay, payout is the big thing. Okay, explain that. So you have, once a well pays off. So it's I all mean, profit. It's all profit. Right. But you, you still have overhead. So you still have to pay for the upkeep Maintenance the and well, upkeep and all, all that. that. Right. But but my point is, in a conventional well, it could take years or months. or what are, what's, the, what's the payoff on a well if you're a working interest investor into it it depends on where you're drilling but on a conventional well it could be like years right it, uh the majority of the time the big wells the most expensive wells you're never gonna have no one will ever have a chance to buy into it yeah because their own i mean if you're the spending 12 ones, million dollars on the on that well it's usually done by a major right yeah and so my point is saying the conventional wells are, are lower cost to produce and and they pay out over an extended period of time. I would, I would say like a minimum of 12 months. 12 months. Okay. Like, but the, we just bought into some wells in South Texas that have been paying out in three. That's my point. Was that a conventional or was that a... The horizontal. Hor that's my point. Lateral. So they, the lateral wells produce years worth of production inside of months. Mm -hmm. It's all about your payout. So it's it's they have a a lot of places have a before payout, after payout. So if 
they have different owners, and once it's paid off, it turns into a working interest or an override. Mm-hmm. So there's different aspects in with that, but I would say on average, at least twelve months. Okay. Before payoff, we'll just go with that. But every well is different. I mean, if you hit, yeah, you can hit. You can pay it off in a month. Yeah, you can pay. It. I've I've heard of like. 50,000 barrels a day. Like, I mean, I've heard yeah. absurd stories coming out of New Mexico that is oh, like. New Mexico, there's some stupid. Going on. Yeah, it's crazy. But but my point is those horizontals that I've always heard and seen, I mean, there is like you get 90 days, maybe 180 days worth of production that is just unrealistic. And then it just really drops off. Yeah. Like, it, so, like, the difference between a vertical and a lateral well. Verticals are usually, well, back, I would say from a, a million to a million and a half to complete. And then a horizontal, you're talking, I mean, it just depends how deep Four it is. Four to 20 million, apparently, is yeah, what I've I mean, seen. Yeah, it could be anything. Like, no telling. It just depends on what formation you're going at, how many frack stages you have. Um, there's all sorts of different aspects that I... I mean, I'm not the expert on all that, but I know that those are much more expensive. But they produce more. Yeah, in a shorter period of time. So your ROI on a return on income or investment is just very, very— It's about the same. But it's compact, right? Right. It's it's not 12 months. It's a shorter period if you hit a good one and stuff. Yeah, but you're going to have to put up more money. So go back to your story about New Mexico. Okay, so back in like the 60s and 70s, New Mexico had a lottery— for uh, BLM leases. So anybody in the U.S. could just put their name in a hat and win a lease. Really? Huh? So this is where all the overrides came from. And so what the, so say Joe Blow out of Minnesota put his name in for a lease. He won it. What he did was he turned around within the year, sold it to a major, and reserved an overriding royalty interest. That's nuts. And so that's where, that's what we do a lot of. And, I mean, we've done overrides for the past five or six years. And we just kind of chase those because if they've never produced, if so say that this lease gets put into a unit, they might have never even received payment off of it. It's, How is that possible? It's possible in New Mexico. Because huh. if you get unitized in, they might have they had a well event, or at the beginning they quit. They they stopped getting paid on it, and so now his son or daughter owns it now. They never knew that they were getting paid on it, and so we try. We find those kind of interests, but most of New Mexico, you can't find them anymore. Yeah, everybody's gone through that. Well, it's kind. Of, it's kind of like real estate, right? Everybody's gone through what the easiest thing is, and they, they find the low hanging fruit. Now it's getting harder and harder. It's harder and harder. Like you, you have to have a lot of equity get into the business out there especially yeah it's it's new mexico is popping off like you've said texas is popping off of course right whether there's states are really i mean i mean i know the dakotas were big there for a long time they were um but isn't it really expensive to produce oil your break-even analysis is really higher in the, the terrain Dakota. yeah the terrain and the weather and everything else it's just so much harder there than it is in texas yeah like so after the natural gas boom, like we had the Barnett and we had Pennsylvania and Ohio, West Virginia, 
Mm-hmm. They pretty much drilled up everything they could possibly do. So, uh, actually, Pioneer is starting to drill the Barnett down in the Permian. Today? Today. And so, they're they're testing that out because the gas prices are so high. Because mm. when they were $1.50, it wasn't worth them even trying to do it. But they're actually starting to drill it down there. And apparently, success, so... So we'll how, how does and, and we'll leave it here because we, we've beaten this up a little bit. But h- how far are we in, Ron? What are we in on this thing? We're at one thirty-eight fifty-seven. So that's usually where we're we're usually. Does it feel like an hour and a half? No. Yeah, it's it's kind of. Yeah, but I, I want. What is foreign countries like Saudi Arabia and all Iran and Iraq? How do those, like you hear about the terms the like owns it all. But you hear about OPEC, and I don't think a lot of people understand what OPEC is. Okay. So OPEC are all the oil-producing, what is it? Bring it up. Ryan, can you bring it up for us? What's OPEC's definition? (laughs) Because you have OPEC, OPEC Plus, that includes Russia and Venezuela. So OPEC— Hey, didn't they just split off, though? Didn't Russia and China split off into their own— So China's not in it. I know, but didn't they do a deal with Russia here recently where they're creating their own? That's how Russia's kept producing. I know, but I thought they came out with their own, like, club here in the last couple of months. I'm not sure about that, but, like, so plus is Venezuela and Russia added in. OPEC is the, all the. Organization of the petroleum exporting countries. Okay. All right. Hey, can you tell us what countries are in that? Iran, Afghanistan. So pretty much every country Iraq, that wants to kill us. Saudi Arabia. Uh, it's all the Middle East countries. Yeah, so it uh, was founded by uh, Iran, Iraq, Kuwait. Can you put Saudi that up Arabia. on the board? Yeah, because this is the actual OPEC side here. Yeah, it's all, yeah. The, it's all the Middle Eastern countries. Yeah, I see uh, Qatar, Indonesia, <laughs> Libya. Yeah. Yeah. So I wonder where oh, Qatar got all their money to be able to do this soccer tournament this year from. Well, they bought it. Have you not watched that documentary? No. Mm-hmm. What documentary is it? Uh, the FIFA documentary on Netflix? Oh, yeah, the Netflix one. That thing's yeah. crazy. Really? That's... There's a documentary on Netflix? Oh, yeah. They... Yeah. I mean, so... it's literally like a cartoon how corrupt FIFA is. Like, it's just, it's not even. It's awful. It's insane. It makes the NFL look like. You know, a well-run organization, <laughs> which is hard to do. All right. So, yeah, it's a little bit small here, but I mean, you can see it was started by uh, Iran, Iraq, Kuwait, Saudi Arabia, and Venezuela, and later joined by uh, Cater, Indonesia, Libya, Qatar. <laughs> yeah, I mispronounced it's it. Over it's Cater. I think it's Qatar. <laughs> the United Arab Emirates, uh, Algeria, Nigeria, Ecuador, Gabon, uh, Angola, Equatorial Guinea, and uh, Congo. Oh wow, I'm surprised. Yeah, quite a quite so a few it's countries. Mostly Northern but, Africa and the Middle East. But they pretty much control prices. Still today, though. Still they, today, they control prices. Oh yeah, because they, when they have their OPEC meetings. Yeah, I know they just shaved like a half a million barrels, right? They'll say, "Well, we're going to increase production. We're going to decrease production." They, they're the ones that control everything. So it, it's the Fed on the oil. Market is pretty much what you're talking yeah. about. It, I mean, it's it's crazy where they they set demand and they set production. They set it now. They set it on. They've been used to high prices, so they're decreasing production now. 
Yeah, because they're, they're wanting to keep the prices higher. Yeah, they want it higher. But their, their cost of production is outrageous. Meaning high or low? Low. So what's what do you think their cost of production? I don't even want to guess on it, but I think it's like $16. Oh, that's crazy. What is it in Texas? Reference. All right, so most of the companies, they it, it depends on what company you're at. Yeah, but give a range. But like most of them set it at, once we had that downturn, they'll be at like 30 to $35 a barrel. Is there a break even? I say I actually thought it was higher. I thought it was more like 40 or 50 No, so like when we had that big downturn, um, a lot of the companies dropped it down. So you're talking about whenever oil went negative? The time before that. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. So what year was that? For years I don't want to remember, but it's it was that year when everybody started to drop it down. Cause when it stayed down in the 30s for... Yeah, for multiple years. I think that was 2018. Yeah, so that's when everybody dropped it down. So their break-even's way lower. So right now they're... They're killing it, killing it. So I wouldn't. I'm not. I, I wouldn't say on new stuff, on some of the newer things, because I think they've adjusted it up. Yeah, because I I think whenever oil goes up, the cost to be able to get into leases, the cost to buy minerals, the cost to do all those things are elevated as well. Right. So it's going to carry your cost to operate to get, pull that up, and whenever everything goes down, it's a, it's a wave. It's just like anything else, right? Yeah. And so. It makes sense that the industry, and this is where I think the industry, if you go back and look at it, we we looked at it when I was buying minerals personally. And again, I'm not recommending anybody to ever buy any oil and gas or minerals, right? I'm just telling you what I've done. And so when I've bought minerals, we looked at, our, our certified financial analyst went back and looked at oil prices over the last like 50, 60 years. And they literally the break even price is right around that fifty dollar mark. Yeah, it goes up to one hundred and twenty. It goes down to you know twenty, but and then we started inflation adjusting the number. And this is what's creepy about it, right? So you don't think inflation is playing a part in our society today? I don't think oil prices are ever going to come down to that thirty to fifty dollar range again. It will. It's hard for me to to forecast that or see that or actually speak to that because how can that happen when inflation for the last 18 months to two years was at like 9%? Well, You would have to get into a deflationary market in order for oil to actually come down if the break-even analysis is at $30 to $35. I've experienced it three times in 11 years. But not when we had this record in record inflation because the dollar's not worth what it was five years ago. Right. But so what does that mean? Recession? No, we're in a recession. I mean, we talked about this last week with Rodney Mogan. I mean, he, he's finishing his PhD in economics. He's got a PhD in financial planning. And he, he was, I mean, he was wholeheartedly, no question we're in a recession. I, I un, that's, that's crazy to think that we're not, but what happened last year is really going into the anticipation of an inflation. And the market hadn't seen one in such a long time, and the world hadn't seen one. And so we recovered off of that, you know, in December and January and February. And and now we're kind of getting into the norms. But we actually haven't gone into the economic data of an actual recession yet. I think that's coming in the next 
two or three quarters. Yeah. And so that's really where the layoffs are really coming. It's the layoffs are already starting and all that stuff's fixing to happen. But and and me and Rodney were talking about this. Great guy, by the way, is it's going to be a very unique recession, if not the first one ever in history, where you have a country that has 17 percent of the population in China that has been locked up with COVID and their COVID is like literally don't leave your house kind of thing for three years. And they're, they're unlocking that. So you're, you're getting three years worth of people that are fixing to have a higher demand traveling oil and gas or using oil and gas products, right? Traveling. And that demand's going to go higher at the same time where the U S is constricting, constricting, Right. And so we don't see unemployment actually going a whole lot lower at this point. And I'm not an economist. Right. I'm just going yeah. from what my guys are telling me and saying it's going to be weird because I don't think economic data is ever happened where you're going to have a boom in 50 to 70 percent of the world in the developing world and such a recession in I mean, excuse me, in the emerging markets of the world and such a recession in the developing world. And I think that's going to be a really weird dance that that the Fed's going to have to take and the oil industry is going to have to take it. Everybody's betting on it, betting on oil and gas going up. We the majority of. We look at that sector as a extremely volatile sector. We, we, We divested from most of our assets in that sector a couple of months ago and the only thing we're owning right now is midstream yeah and i think and the reason was is there's a different type of correlation in pricing with midstream because it's based upon interest rates Mm -hmm. and so it's a completely different way that midstream is priced so every bit of oil going down that pipe is 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 money right that's right. how they make money yeah. and so if interest rates rise the, there's an opportunity there if it goes down so and i'm not an expert inside of midstream either so i'm not explaining that but that's how we look at it right, right? and so that's our perspective inside of it but i i think it's going to be a weird i agree with you long term like two three four five years i don't see a crash being uneducated in this space to what I think the world thinks it's going to happen in a recession. Yeah, I mean, we got UFOs in, uh, in Michigan. And every train falling off the tracks. And trains falling off the tracks and blowing it up. It's crazy. It's just. It's crazy. It's nuts. You never know what's going on. It's, it's going to be nuts, man. But I appreciate you coming today. It's, yeah. I hope this was fun. Yeah, it was, I had fun. It's great. And, and next time, I'll, I'll, I'll bring the alcohol. Okay, I'll just be color commentary next time. <laughs> I, Harrison did it really well. I know. I was a little dull. I didn't know when to be on this or not. Next time, this is the first one I sell. Oh, yeah. I'll, Next one, we'll have to do out pursuing Alpha after dark. Ah. Uh, put Grandma to bed. It's time for me. After Woodrow's. <laughs> I know. Woodrow's and you, that's that's dangerous right there. Yeah. Hey, I appreciate it. Thanks for coming, yeah. man. Talk to you soon. You too. See ya. Thank you for listening to the Pursuing Alpha podcast, hosted by Charles Brandon Snyder. Charles Brandon Snyder offers securities through LPL Financial, member FINRA and SIPC. 
Pursuing Alpha is a separate entity from LPL Financial. Pursuing Alpha and the logo are registered trademarks. The opinions voiced in this podcast are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a decision. Any guests and their companies are not affiliated with or endorsed by LPL Financial, Alpha Capital Strategies, Alpha Capital, or the Pursuing Alpha podcast.